Alright, modern bonsai listeners, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This podcast is a wealth of knowledge due to our guest, but before I get into that, today's episode is brought to you by Bonsai N, Australia's premium bonsai store. Shop online with Australia-wide shipping and a wide range of payment options, including Afterpay, which allows you to buy now and pay later. Visit www.bonsai-en.com.au. That's www.bonsaien.com.au for more info. Now, back to our guest. He has a massive nursery on the central coast of New South Wales called Bonsai World. They have around 60,000 plants there. Can you imagine looking after all those plants? 60,000. And he's looking at having over 100,000 by the end of the year, which is just incredible. He does demonstrations all over Australia. He's travelled to multiple parts of the world and seen the work being done abroad. He hosts free workshops on the last Sunday of every month at his nursery. And he's just an all-around great guy who has mastered the art of growing quality nursery stock really fast. So if you will, please welcome Ashley Brown. It's great to have you on, man. Yeah, thanks for having us, Josh. Yeah, no problems. So if you just wanted to tell us... First of all, your story about how you got into bonsai and what the um, what the push was there. Yep. So, um, well, I'm 46 years of age now, so I'm getting on a bit. But back when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, early years of high school, year 7, 8, 9, I was living down in the Hills District of Sydney, surrounded by wholesale nurseries. So before I... Uh, Left high school, I went and got some some jobs in horticulture, growing trees. Um, our next door neighbours were related to the Swains, so we had a, a big growing nursery next to us. I worked for Avondale Nurseries, massive tube stock nursery in Sydney at the time, and developed my love of plants then. Yep. Um, later on in life, went and done a Bachelor of Horticulture at Charles Sturt Uni um, and done a little bit of teaching down in University of Western Sydney in their horticulture Yep, down there. Um, been in the nursery game my entire life. Uh, owned Moon Par Nursery from 1993. Have worked in all the massive nurseries in Sydney like Davidson's Alpine. Um, that got me into plants and that got me my horticultural degree. Yep. That's taught me how to grow my bonsais as fast and effectively as possible. Um, it wasn't till I had a few bonsais when I was young, but you know, like like most of us, they were the best part of terrible. <laughs> um, when we all start out, we're we're not the best. Um, we try and put little pots in little little plants in little pots way too quick. Um, I started getting more into into bonsai early two thousands. Yep. So it's only been like the last 20 years, um, and particularly the last 15 years, um, that we've been putting more and more hours every day into, into, the, into the bonsai side of the business until today, which we're now 100% bonsai. Yeah, okay. So yep. no longer do we have the, the wholesale nursery. We used to have over 2 million trees on the block. We now reduce the number. Um, we're down to about 60,000 but now them, them, them 60,000 trees we got on the block are all pre-bonsai 
Yeah, yep. which helps a lot with people who are trying to get into it. Yeah, so we've got probably 100, 150 varieties. Most, you know, the, the vast majority would be just probably 10 or 20 of the top 10 or 20 main varieties. But yeah, we, we grow 60,000 trees, 100 varieties from, you know, little three inch starters right through to some sort of 10 year old stock. Yep. We don't have a lot of trees at the moment that are older than that. Right. So with Bonsai World, how we see it today, how long has Bonsai World been Bonsai World? Bonsai World was a small division of Moonpar to start off with and represented maybe a couple of thousand square metres. And we had a Bonsai Nursery as well at the same time over at Erina. We've had to close that because the government wanted to widen the road and turn it into a freeway or a highway. Um, so then we've moved back here to Jillaby and... But it's only been the last four, four and a half years where the nursery has been 100% bonsai. Yep. yep. Yeah, it's quite a shock if you're um, getting into bonsai. A lot of people probably do it, but they go to regular nurseries and they try and sort through the stock there and they think, oh, I can make that into a bonsai or that might be okay. And, and then you find an actual bonsai nursery like Bonsai World. And this is not only a nursery, but it is huge. The first time I walked in here, I was like, no way. There's just so many plants to pick from and all the different varieties. And you know that anything here can be made into a bonsai. It just makes your job so much easier. So I think it's a absolute great thing you're doing here. And it helps us move into our first topic, which is uh, field growing plants. And I know that we were just talking about this, but you don't necessarily field grow here because there's challenges to that. Yep. So what is it that you actually do here for your plants that you're growing? So the ones like if the equivalent of field grown, um, where we're trying to develop a decent bonsai, so a tree that's ready to go to a pot or ready to start doing some some high level styling. They don't just grow instantly. They don't. You can't just you know grab one off the shelf. It takes a few years of of growing the tree, developing the base, developing the nabari, developing the taper. Um, we can't unfortunately do that in the ground. We're on the the valley floor here. We get very wet. We if you look around the trees around us here, they're all melaleucas growing in the swamps. So when it does rain, like the last week or two, our soils here won't dry for about a month or two. Yeah. So the drainage isn't good enough to grow your black pine, your red your red pine, your white pine definitely not good enough for your you know your junipers and that sort of stuff yep. great great if you wanted to grow melaleucas not so great for you know the more traditional japanese varieties so we don't grow in the ground we grow in pots and we just keep slip potting up so we go from a six inch to an eight inch 10 inch 12 inch and once they get to about 12 inch if we're really trying to develop the trunk quickly um, trying to get the most obviously value out of the tree as fast as possible. We then will pot up to a, a, a half 200 litre drum, you know, the, the import drums. Yep. We cut them in half, which gives us about 100, 110 litres of potting mix. Um, and in that, we can grow a tree rather quickly. And you would say that the quality difference between field growing and pot growing is very similar? The, it, yeah, the quality of the, your tree, I believe, won't come down to either growing in the ground or growing in a pot. It will come down to how much time you spend on that tree. Yep. So, I mean, if I was just to plant a, a tree in, in the pot without wiring it, without changing the angle, um, and just grow it, 
it's not going to be any better in the ground or in a pot. Um, it's the amount of hours we spend wiring the tree, yep. um, getting the initial shape in, and then letting it thicken up. And it's that them hours or that that them, the amount of times you work on it while it's developing yep. will will determine the tree's future quality. Yeah, right. Like we've got some shimpaku here, for instance, where we've just planted them and forgot about them, just letting them thicken up. If you were to grab one of them, you're not going to have a great tree. It needs to be hacked back, chopped back hard, and started again. Whereas the trees that we've wide as a six inch pot and then wide again as an eight inch pot and then wide again as a 12 inch pot once they go into the big drums and then get thick that the trunks and the hard bends are there yeah so that 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 will give us a high quality good tree to work on and really get you you know some you know a talented bonsai artist can then do something with that and the, the bones are there already and that just comes down the amount of work you do yeah because on our last podcast when i sat down with Hugh. Um, he was saying about how he likes to just go in and have a good nurseryman grow the stock. Yep. And then just be able to pick it up off the shelf and be able to take it from there. Yep. And I think, you know, that's a hard thing to find. I mean, especially in Australia. Yeah. So we've got, obviously, a quite a talented crew of um, people that work for me. It's taken me a few years to, to find them. And the good thing is the Central Coast is had a fair few bonsai nurseries in the past and so there's a lot of people that are trained up that are that are very very good at wiring um and know what shapes need to be put into the trees so a future tree will will be a quality quality bonsai yeah Um, and having those staff i guess would really help because i can't imagine the work and the man hours that goes into looking after sixty thousand plants yeah no it's it's you can never do it with one. You probably couldn't do it with four, but we somehow manage. Um, I'd like to have more staff in the next two or three years. So if anyone locally is um, very, very good at um, wiring trees, um, <laughs> yeah, maybe in a year or two, we'll be definitely looking at rehiring more people Yeah, because okay. we can't, we just can't grow enough trees at the moment. We started off doing 2,000 junipers first year went to 4,000 the second year, went to 7,000 the third year. Last year we put down 15,000 junipers and it's not enough, they're gone. Yeah. Um, next year we have, we've got over half a million seed in the fridge and we've got probably 100,000 tube stock coming through the greenhouses. So come spring, we'll have 100,000 trees to plant. Yeah. And they're all, if we want to make them into high quality bonsai they're going to need wiring yep and each tree will need wiring two three or four times and would you say that wiring would be the hardest thing about looking after sixty thousand plants or would Uh, it be the feeding the watering oh it all it all it all takes time um nothing is more important like if you don't water obviously your trees die if you don't feed they don't grow if you don't wire then they don't look good in the future so every 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 element has a part to play in creating a good quality tree yeah um obviously the wiring takes probably the most amount of skill yeah um probably the most man hours too yeah. because with the watering you can have sprinkler oh, systems oh, i don't know the, the weeding the weeding just seems to be never ending here yeah, uh, yeah even though we even though we do use some um some pre-emergent herbicide uh not herbicide pre-emergent you know germicide to try and stop weeds from sprouting um 
yeah, weeds here are a hell of a problem. And I'm pretty sure they're a problem in most wholesale nurseries and retail nurseries around Australia. Yeah, even in our small garden, yep. you, just, you can't keep up with them. Yep. And then one type sprouts up in one pot and then it just starts sprouting up in all of the pots. And, yep. And then you just got to walk around every day and try and pick everything out. And yep. yeah. yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. No, so the most mountain houses are probably weeding, but um, fertilising is obviously quite quick for us. But yeah, wiring would probably be the second most amount of man hours in developing a tree. Yep. And probably the biggest cost because oh, when we decide to wire around here, we are going, we're not going through, you know, a kilo a day. We're going through kilos every 15 minutes. Yeah. So over, over a good day of wiring, we could quite comfortably go through 20 or 30 kilos of wire. <laughs> That's yep. a lot. And yep. so you're wiring trees on almost a daily basis. Is there any of the trees out there that you take more of the clip and grow method with? Um, we do use the clip and grow method for a lot of the trees where we design, where they're going to be bigger trees. So, you know, if you, if we're doing a show in or, you know, sort of a medium, a small to medium sized tree, we probably will be doing a lot more wiring. If we're going to start developing sort of bigger trees, sort of your more mediums to, you know, getting up towards your imperial sort of size, we would do a lot more clip and grow. So we'll, we'll grow straight, chop plant the tree on a 45 degree angle yeah let it go again and then you know the following season we'll chop again and then when we pot it to the next size pot we'll then pot it again on another angle so we let we're letting the tree develop its own movement just by chopping and growing and changing the angle of the plant in the pot yep um and that works quite well for bigger trees but definitely doesn't work well for your your show in and your sort of more small and medium trees. Yep. With them trees, we find that we have to wire. Yeah. So it really really depends on the actual species, and it then depends on just the size. Um, just try. Uh, the big black pine that we have here for sale in, say, 12, 14-inch pots, most of them have just been clip and grow, clip and grow, clip and grow for the first three, three four, five years. Yep. And then we'll get in and wire. Because um, it does, it comes down to the person too. I know there's a lot of different artists out there that prefer the clip and grow method because it's a, a lot more natural. Um, yeah, it can definitely give you some sharper lines, um, maybe more angular lines. Um, whereas obviously the wire will give you more sort of curves and um, more spiral and more, yeah, a little bit softer, not quite so harsh um, yep. as maybe clip and grow can can achieve. But, yeah, it's um, interesting. Um, so going back to development and uh, growing things in pots, if somebody at home wanted to develop a tree really quickly like you do here, would you suggest slip potting from 8 to 12 to whatever from there? Or yep. would you suggest, because I know that you've done it before with taking a little you know, $8 starter tree and putting it in a 100-litre pot and letting it grow for four years and getting some pretty rapid growth from that. If if you're slip potting up, the, 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 the trick we've found is to not let it become root-bound. So, and I believe the slip potting is, well, for us, it's, it's commercially more viable because we can have a 1,000 trees on the bench in a 6-inch without taking up a lot of room. And then I can go to a an eight inch pot and it only takes up a bit more room and then the 10 inch a bit more room whereas if i put a thousand trees straight to a 100 litre drum it's another half an acre 
Yep. Um, so we prefer here to grow the slip slip pot slip potting method like you just discussed. Um, but what we what you don't want to do if we if we want to develop a tree really quick, like we've got some squat martyrs out the back here that you know we've got to about you know a two inch trunk within sort of six years. Yep. Um, what you need to do is to, to, to slip pot it up before it's root bound, before it slows down. If you allow that tree to to slow down its growth after it's got root bound, when you then pot it back up, you've got that delay factor in it starting to boom off again. Right. Um, yeah. And the longer you've left it, look, once, it's, once, once it needs to be potted up, and if you haven't, the longer you leave it in that, that smaller pot before going to the next size up, you'll have a longer and longer lag before the tree kicks in, powers off, and then starts growing rapidly again. So we find that if we can just keep slip potting up just as it's due, which is not obviously easy when you've got that many trees, yeah. but if you can do it, yeah, you can develop a tree very quickly. Yeah, because that, that's what I use. I um, slip pot a lot of my trees. Yep. But even then, it's still hard. Sometimes you'll pull it out of the pot and you'll be like, wow. <laughs> like, and the that roots way, are taking over. And that way, when you are slip potting up, you're also getting to have a look at the roots each time. Whereas yeah. if you just put a little tree in a big, big, big pot, you're not looking at the roots that often. Um, whereas each time you're slip potting it up, I mean, if it's got curl grub, you're seeing it, you're finding it as you go to an eight inch. So them, them curl grub aren't, you know, getting in and doing enough damage to your roots. So each, you know, like if we go from a tube stock to a six inch, that, that might only be in a six inch for anywhere from six weeks to three or four months. And then from that six inch pot, You'll only be in an eight-inch pot for for less than a season, yep. like less than one year. And so each time we're potting up, we can obviously we re, can renew that potting mix. So obviously with newer potting mix, we've got better quality water water uh, a, a good quality potting mix. Obviously holds the amount of right of water. When a potting mix gets old, it you know gets hydrophobic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the advantage of slip potting up is we're continually getting in and seeing if there's any issues in the in the soil that we need to deal with. Yeah, because that, that's the thing. I was talking to Luke here today, and he said that he had a tree that he took out, and it had about 40 grubs in it. Yep. And I had the same problem a couple of weeks ago. I had some lily pillies, and um, we had a tree in the middle of our garden, and the ants had gotten up into the the branches, and they started these branches just started falling off the tree. So we went out with a chainsaw, and we chopped all the branches back so the tree was nice and tight. And... Um, because we got a fireplace, we decided to put it all in a pile and let it season. And what had happened is the ants had come out of the branches that we cut off the tree and they'd gone into the lily pillies. And I hadn't noticed. <clears throat> and gradually over a couple of weeks, they started to deteriorate and the colour was coming out of the leaves. And suddenly I started thinking, well, and they're getting too much sun and they're getting too much water and they're not getting enough water. And trying all these different things and moved them into the shade and that didn't help them and then finally it was when I pulled the the lily pillies out of the pot and seen that they were covered in ants um yeah if I had pulled them out earlier I would have known about yeah. that but yeah so the, we find the more often we deal with a tree the more often we got it in our hands the, the you know we can we can come across issues like that yeah and earlier. stay on top of things so we do prefer slip potting up yeah so t- talking about you know thinking that the sun had an effect on those lily pillies. Down here, do you find that you get the extreme ends of all the seasons? Yeah, because we're on the valley floor, we will go minus six. Um, 
most mo- like we 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 are expecting a frost tonight. So come five a.m. this mo- tomorrow morning, I'm I'm expecting to come out here and see ice on most things. Um, so we we do have that 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 cold, which is good for black pine, red pine, white pine, mugo pine. Um, not so good for Indian privet and figs. Not so good for you know normal privet and casuarinas that tend to you know not like them 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 temperatures. But eventually, over the next few years, we'll have more of us more you know more shade houses, more greenhouses. So we'll be able to have trees in the right sort of environment over winter. But summer, it's not a problem. We get very hot, but. You know, as long as you keep the water up, you're fine. Yep. We've, we don't ever lose trees because they've just got too hot or too much sun. Very, very rare. Uh, maybe if you have changed the angle on a maple or something, if you've gone from an upright tree and you've laid it over on a 45-degree angle, you're now exposing, like, one side of the maple up yep. that wouldn't have normally got full sun. And sometimes you can get sunburn on a on a trunk like that, but it's very rare. Um so that the the extreme of heat doesn't worry us as long as we got you know enough water in the dams to keep everything well watered, and winter is winter's an issue for us here, but only for certain varieties. Yeah, and so you've got the the greenhouses here. Yep. I think you call them the igloos. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, how many trees in winter do you have to move into those things? Um, at the moment, we haven't got anywhere near enough greenhouse space. Um, them igloos were jammed, packed about two weeks ago yep we expected our first frost to come through about two weeks ago which it probably did i wasn't here for it but i believe we had a frost maybe a fortnight ago um yeah we we chocker it up and we just you know try and get everything through to spring and then come spring we empty the greenhouses out into the full sun again yeah it's just another one of those things that takes all the man hours yep. away from you yep. <laughs> so there's probably in that big greenhouse down there there's probably ten thousand tube stocks and maybe five thousand trees yep but we'd love to have had three times the amount of greenhouse and have 15,000 trees in there over winter, but maybe next season. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So out of all the, the 60,000 trees that you do have down here, what would you say, personally, your favourite variety is, whether it's aesthetically or just something that's easier to grow? Oh, my, my favourite variety here is the Juniper squamata prostrata or the Himalayan juniper. Um the Americans will probably call it procumbens. Yep. Um, it does seem to be in if you if you go down south into Victoria, they'll call it pingii. Um, but yet yeah, the, the Squamata prostrata is the one we grow the most of. Yep. Um, as we said, we put down fifteen thousand last year. Um, this season coming, I'd love to put down twenty five thousand um, if we can. But yeah, to me that that's. To me, that's the most commercial variety we got because it's quick, it's adaptable. You can use it for any any shape. It can be cascade, slanting, upright. Doesn't matter. Um, so that's that's commercially number one. Me personally, oh, don't really have a favourite. But the last few weeks, swamp cypress. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. My my favourite changes just depending on. Yeah, you know, get a bit bored of one variety. I'll. I'll then start tackling another variety. Yeah. A little bit more than normal. Yep. Because I find, like, in my bonsai journey, when I first started, juniper was 100% my favourite just because it was, as you said, it's easily adaptable and you get somewhat of an instant bonsai. Yep. They're never, when you're first starting off, they're never, you know, great quality. 
but it's something that looks like a bonsai, so it's great. And then it's a karate kid tree. And yep. yeah, and then as you grow, like at the moment, I'm starting to get into the natives. Uh, I think the last three workshops that you've had here, I've done lemon scented tea trees. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think as people grow, they they learn new things. Because when I first got into it, I didn't like any trees that really had leaves. I know it sounds stupid, but... Well, you preferred the needles or... Yeah, yeah something yeah. that was more shrubby or yeah, needle More like you see in the books coming out of Japan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, But yeah, as you start doing more, you start growing more, you start seeing more varieties. Me personally, I still haven't found the liking for figs. I th- Take a trip to Vietnam, you'll change your mind. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, so, that, so my, my, what I'm into changes depending on the year. So every year I'm into something different. So last last year alone I've made five trips to four four trips to Vietnam, and the Vietnamese love their figs. Yeah, they're big. They root over rocks. They're in sort of massive suey barns. Um, and so yeah, when I've got back this season after after our last frost and and spring comes, and yeah, I've got two or three figs that I'm going to be definitely playing with. Yep. Um, Come back from Japan five years earlier and, you know, you're into your shimpakus. Come back from China five years before that and, you know, you're, you're starting to try and find some really massive sort of podocarpus or something. So it's, it's yeah, with me it's definitely a, um, the art changes depending on what, what influences I've seen. And, you know, to be honest, I went down to the Arboretum in Canberra last year and saw Grant Bowie's Swamp Cypress Forest. Yep. Beautiful, beautiful setup. I came back and I had to rip my swamp cypress apart and start again because it wasn't it wasn't up to that sort of quality. Yep. Um, and then since then, I've probably done four or five forests, swamp cypress forests, developing them and trying to you know take it to another level. Yeah, well, I think that's what makes a good bonsai artist being able to take in influence yep. from other people and I think from other countries. I think if bonsai artists whether they're beginning or they're into a you know a higher level i think it's probably priceless to be able to travel yes definitely and, you know see what they're doing in japan or yep. what they're doing in europe yep. or in vietnam um i noticed that in vietnam their pot styling is a lot different to what they're doing everywhere else um there is there is percentage of their pot styling that is completely different to everywhere else where they you know they use them cement pots that are you know massive yeah one two three four five meters wide you know big heavy pots you know forklift crane sort of work um, but they're rather you know they do do they do have manufacturers of really beautiful high-end pots that are more Japanese style yep um, yeah, with the black clay and all the rest of it, and then then you'll obviously then see the influence of of their their religions coming through with you know the the dragons and stuff all over it as well. Yeah, yeah. Every everywhere has there a little a little twist on the the original Japanese sort of style. So I guess you're probably one of the best people to talk to about. But with everything you've seen overseas, because you've been to Japan and you've been to Vietnam, you've seen all these different countries doing bonsai, and you've also seen a lot of bonsai in australia how do you think bonsai in australia compares to what you've seen overseas and how much do you think it's growing at the current time well um how do we compare 
I mean, the advantage is that the rest of the world have is is age. Yep. So, um, you know, you go to China and, you know, they've been doing it for, you know, 500,000 years. In Japan, you know, there's, there's Shimpaku that, you know, they're one foot, two foot thick yep. at the base. Um, in Australia, I've, you know, I've, hard, I've been hard-pressed to see a Shimpaku maybe no thicker than, say, 60, 65 mil. Yep. Um, so we, we don't have the age and we can't import trees too easily. I know some, some nurserymen have imported, successfully imported figs over the years and azaleas over the years, but it, they're few and far between. So, I mean, the, the material that we, we're playing with in Australia is been started from scratch because of our quarantine laws. Um, it's going to get there. It's going to, it's going to rival what it does in Europe and America and Japan and China, but it's going to take time. Um, I think our natives are pretty close, though, because in your show section you've got for instance, a lily pilly out there, and the thing's massive. Yeah, that, and that, that is the advantage of some of our Australian natives is the speed of what they grow. That, that lily pilly you're talking about is only about 20 years old. Yep. And I started training it in 2008, roughly. And in 2008, it, was, it wasn't a big tree. It was a, it was, it was a field-grown tree, in a, and then it was put into a big plastic bag, and then from that into a very big bonsai pot and we've been growing it as fast as possible but it's only been in training for about 10 or 11 years and probably another eight years before that growing just as a wholesale nursery stock so yeah it's less than 20 years and because it 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 grows very very quickly so we've 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 managed to develop a relatively good tree in 20 years whereas you know 20 years for a shimpaku or an azalea is it's only just the beginning yeah and Um, i think that's the advantage we do have here in australia is once we start moving forward and making waves in other countries and, you know, in Europe and America and those parts of the world, the trees that we're going to be coming forward with will be unique. Yep. And it's not going to be something because... And our best trees will probably be the natives. Yeah. Because of, of the speed of what they grow. You know, Dave up here has got a, you know, a fantastic... You know, don't tell him that, but... No, he's got a fantastic uh, willow myrtle over here, Agonis, and it's world class. Yep. Um, and it's it's only ten years in, ten years in styling, yeah. And it's you know it's one hundred and fifty mil, two hundred mil at, at the base, um, with good bark and good movement. Um, if that was a, again, if that was a Shimbaku or a Sabina or a black pine, it's 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 a lot longer than that. So yeah. he's he's managed to acquire a you know a world class tree that you know could comfortably go down to the the national collection. You know, next week, and it would fit in. It would fit in. It wouldn't be out of place down there. And yeah, it's taken ten years. So yeah. that 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 is the advantage we have with Australian natives. See, I think America's doing the same thing, because American bonsai has been around longer, and it's already got its legs under it. But a lot of what they're showing to the world is their collected material. So their Rocky Mountain junipers yeah. that are, you know, they've been growing up in their mountains for hundreds of years, and they're the trees that they're putting forward because. Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot, lot of Yamadori yeah, material coming out of the you know but the western western yeah sort yep. of coast of the states yep. And I, I think Australia is going to follow suit because as you said, if we were to have shimpaku or anything else, we're starting from scratch and it's going to take you know another twenty years until we have trees that have developed. Oh, longer, yeah. Yeah, to the the point that Japan and that has. So we're going to lead with our natives. Yep. And yep. our collected material. Yep. And. As I said, it's the same thing America's doing. Our high-end trees will, you know, 
could well and truly be you know, a large percentage of them will be Australian native, but there is always going to be that massive demand for having more traditional varieties as well. I mean, not yeah. to say that we don't have, you know, great trees here, because once again, up sitting next to that lily pill is a big black pine. Yes. And that's a very nice tree. It's also 1951. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's what, that, that actually is one of the original batch of seed that Dorothy Koroshoff brought into Australia. Yep. Um, there's three trees in the Arboretum, there's three here, and there's a couple couple more from that batch around Australia. But, yeah, that, 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 them black pine are all 1951, so, yeah, you know, 60, 69, 70 years old. Yep. Um, yeah, and it would only be half the thickness in the base of the lilypilly, which is 20 years old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful tree. See, I think that's the trick with Australia at the moment. Because we've been in the shade for so long, I mean, there's probably artists in Australia that have some big amazing trees in their backyard but they're just you know they're not putting their hand up or they don't have the means to be in the spotlight you know not like because I think the spotlight at the moment and what's making bonsai grow in the world is technology and media so stuff like podcasts videos on YouTube and I think that's where Australia has been kind of left behind a little bit um, I think people that do bonsai don't have that technology side about them. No, but you you do have a like, and you know you can learn a fair bit from YouTube's and your podcast. But there's nothing like being at a live demonstration or a a live um, or just watching you know some of the high experienced Australian and high highly experienced you know overseas guests that come over yep. and actually seeing what they actually do live. I mean, live is just I mean it's great. Yeah, and obviously you're gonna look, you're gonna you're gonna get a lot out of YouTube's and your and your podcasts and stuff, but but live is a is is also another part factor, and you, we do get a lot of that in Australia. Yeah, and I think the more I think the more though that we put Australia out there, the more we're gonna wanna well the guests are gonna wanna come here because like even having Ryan Neal here a couple of weeks ago, um, I know by listening to the podcast that he did when he went back. It absolutely blew his mind. And, I mean, he's been here before. Yeah. But I think the level that people are practising bonsai now compared to when he was here before is stepped up a bit. Oh, yeah, no, it, I've noticed it. I mean, I've been doing bonsai now for 30 years in Australia, and, yeah, now it's, it's there's more and more practitioners that are very, very good at what they do, and they are taking each, each, each year, the trees are getting better and better. Um, if, I don't impro- if I don't improve my collection out the back here it it will in 10 years time it'll be it'll be an average collection yep. and in 20 years time it'll be a, it'll be a poor collection if i don't increase the quality and continually the you know, small improvements on each of the trees yeah and you and you'll see that you'll see that worldwide but yeah definitely in australia um because we're young it's it, we the trees are getting better yeah very very quickly um, every every year you go down to the arboretum or every year you go to a, a major show around australia I know there was a big show down in Victoria, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and the trees, the trees down there were phenomenal. And every year, to make, if you wanted to win your local show, or you're gonna have to get a better and better tree. Yeah. Because there's more and more out there. And before, you know, you could you could win a show with quite an average tree, but you go win a show today, and you're gonna need a very good tree. Yeah. Well, in terms of you know the aesthetics of a very good tree. Do you think that over the years, 
as other parts of the world have had more influence on Australian bonsai, do you feel like the aesthetic has changed? Do you feel like do you feel like we're trying to put other countries' aesthetics into our natives, or do you feel like we're kind of coming up with our own aesthetic with what we're doing with our natives? Um, a mix. Um, we had a, uh, a bloke that um, was my mentor. Um, he came and worked for me for a long time, Milton Larvin. Um, 20, 20 odd years ago, he, he wrote a book like a little pamphlet sort of thing that we, that was he was sending around and it was it was saying look we we should in Australia should have our own styles and I can remember reading that when I was probably late 20s or something and I remember I remember reading Namajira style that was just a name given to a, a style that we were like and it was it was about a style of eucalypt and growing a tree to look like the the old eucalypts we have out there in the bush yep um and yeah, you know, there is there is definitely a movement to make our native bonsai look like really good old gnarly trees that are growing out in the out in the bush. There is also an influence from Japan and China and all the rest of it, where we still try and you know as as much as we make our trees look like natives, there's also a movement to make them look like bonsai. Yep. You know we've you know, maybe you know more traditional shapes and and branch placement and the and the likes and and out the back in our own collection out here. You will see both influences there, where we've made a leptospernum look like what an le- old lepto would look like in the bush. Yep. We've also got a leptospernum out there that is very much traditional Japanese style. Um, it's it's up to the individual uh, artist. Yeah, because I feel um, like we've got a lot more freedom starting from where we're starting to kind of make a movement and move forward and... Yep. Maybe try and create a new aesthetic in terms of what yeah. we can do. And it's and it, and that is and that and you will see more and more of that every year. You yeah. know, you've got the likes of, you know, Steve Antos that, you know, had the Australian Oz Bonzo, you know, website you know, in the last decade or so. Um, where where Australian natives were promoted and pushed and you see a fair bit on Facebook where it's Australian natives. And yeah, yeah over the last ten, twenty years then there has definitely been a, a movement with making our natives look like natives, yeah. Not 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 like a traditional Japanese tree. Well, they, they must be getting popular because I think the last time I was here was maybe a month and a half ago, two months. I can't remember, but some of the tables out there were full of big melaleucas, uh, lemon scented tea trees, and then I come in today and. There's a lot of them gone. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, no. About, I would say about 50% of our plants are Australian native. Yep. Um, and 50% would be traditional, you know, junipers, black pine, shimbaku, azaleas. Um, but the 50% sort of native, yeah, we're doing melaleucas, leptos, banksias, kunzias, uh, casuarina, um, many more that I can't even think of at the moment but yeah yeah, at least 50% of our nursery would be native um, and they do and they do they do go off they do they do sell just as well so yeah. it would probably represent 50% of sales and we in saying that the good thing about natives is you can go out and collect them is there any interest in that for a nursery to go out and collect trees and have collected trees sold just because 
they've had a you know we you might will, be able to find a hundred year old tree we will sell some natives here on consignment that have been collected yep we don't do it ourselves um they are so quick that we find that we can actually just do it within a pot and grow it fast yep um we got some beautiful. We got a beautiful batch batch of banksias up the back, that will come forward in spring into the into the retail area, and they've got bases that are probably two hundred and fifty mil. Yep. Beautifully tapered trees that will be probably about 40, 50 centimeters tall. Great trees, and they've only taken five to six years to develop a two hundred and fifty mil base. Yeah. Um, so commercially, it's not viable for me to go and try and collect that out of the bush, where I'm going to have to spend a lot of time preparing the tree making sure it's going to survive, digging it up, bringing it back, good aftercare. Yep. If I'm if I'm doing it on a commercial scale, I'm better off putting down, you know, 500 trees in that same time and growing them on. So for us, it's not commercially viable, but for, for smaller nurseries and for more sort of people that are, that don't have this sort of setup, I mean, we were on 20 acres, but if you had like a very small nursery, then yeah, it probably would be commercially viable to go out there and dig up one or two trees, but for us, one or two is not what we do, we're doing here. We're doing we're doing mass market, yep, mass produce. Um, not not for the chain stores, but just for the you know the general public, for the bonsai enthusiasts, we can develop a really good tree here at a better price than than it would cost me to go send staff out to try and you know, locate them in the bush. Yeah, and I think too with what you do here, you probably come up with a better tree because when you're out in the bush, you can't be picky or choosy. What's there is what's there, and you might have to chop a tree halfway down. Or you'd have to spend the entire day walking round and round and round trying to find that one tree that is very, very good. Yep. Whereas here I can put down a 1,000 trees comfortably in a day um, and pot them up, and over the next sort of year or two, there'll be a 100 standout out of that 1,000. Yep. And then when we pot them up, there'll be a hunt, there'll be probably fifty that will go through. There'll be standout out of the, when we pot them up to the next level. And as we go from a six inch up to a sixteen inch tub, there will be a few that will be far better than the rest. We'll end up with ten or fifteen outstanding trees. That you, yeah, right. You we, we, you would be hard pressed finding something of that quality in the bush. Yeah, because it's been purpose made and it's been looked after and it's yep. from its get go, it's been had bonsai in mind. And, you know, let's put taper in the trunk. And so I think, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are interested in collecting. But yes. at the end of the day, they might be better off just coming here and finding a tree that's, you know. Well, I mean, if you, I mean, the advantage of collecting is it's not costing you a lot, it's costing you time. Yeah. Um, whereas here, we, we, you, you're not having to, you know, spend that time. You can come and find a tree straight away. Um, and you can buy it straight away, whereas, you know, you can collect them out of the bush, but it's going to take you a day or so. And, you know, not a lot of people have that day that day spare, trudging around the bush and digging it up and then aftercare. You know, they've got, they got nine to five jobs, yep. kids on the weekend. You can come here and you can find a great banks here. You don't necessarily have to go through the bush and find it. Um, and I think the other thing is, too, with collecting, you can pay a bigger price for that tree because... If you don't have the proper aftercare, you can kill a tree that's... Oh, you can kill a tree real quick. Yeah, that's maybe 500 years old. And I mean, I guess there's some people out there, there's people that murder people and don't feel bad about it. But I think if I dug up a 500-year-old tree and killed it, I'd feel pretty damn terrible about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 
yeah, and you need and the, the good Australian trees that have been dug are coming from the harsher environments. And them harsher environments usually aren't someone's backyard. They're usually national parks or yep. crown land or something where you probably shouldn't be digging. Yeah. Um, without permission. Obviously, you've got to go seek permission, but there's not... I mean, around here, there's not too many places I could go dig within 50 kilometres of here where I'd get a good tree. Yeah. Um, I do know of one, and I drive past it all the time, and I think that tree, it's, it's in the ground, and it is already a perfect bonzo, and... It's kind of as you've just gone. I don't know how well you know the Bay Area, but as you've just gone past Williamtown, oh yeah, and then you come past um, the Soldash area, yep, and then you go to come into Bob's Farm, yep. There's a farm and it's right on the corner, and there's a guy there growing in the sand. It's growing in the paddock where he's got all these cows. And the cows over the years just keep eating the apex of the tree, so it just yep. stays stunted. And it kind of comes up, and it's got a nice curvy trunk, and then it's got a nice apex, and it's got this beautiful branch. And I, I just keep thinking to myself, one day I'm going to stop in and knock on that guy's door. But <laughs> there's a lot of things that have got to be in place. I'm going to need a hell of a pot. I mean, it's not going to go straight into a pot, obviously, but when the time comes to put it into a pot, you'd need a hell of a pot. And two, you're going to need a hell of a team to get it out of there because... <laughs> yeah, and commercially that's not viable for us to, to do. No, but no. it is a nice... But yeah, you'll end up with some great stock. Yeah. I mean, not even to sell, just to have a tree on show, it would be a beautiful tree. Yeah. I mean, there is stuff out there, but as you say, you might knock on that guy's door and he might say, bugger off. You know, yeah. That's my cow's tree. The cows love eating that tree. Yep. But it's a it's a beautiful bonsai and <clears throat> it's just one of those things. It's one in a million. But um, yeah, I guess that'd be a good segue onto the next thing. Having something in like that in your garden. Um, have you got any kind of tips on people looking after a fair amount of trees in a garden? Because obviously you look after sixty thousand plus trees down here. You've got your show section. I mean, what do you... Does anything change, you think, from maybe having a collection of 10 trees to 100? Oh, heck yeah. Um, well, when we all start off in Bonzo, we all start off with uh, way too many, to be honest. Yep. But, but, but you, need that, you need that quantity to, you know, to whittle off way the ones that aren't so good. So if you start off with 200 and you start working them, some are going to end up being great trees, some aren't going to be great trees. That's when I'd recommend, you know, flogging off a couple, yep. selling a few. You cannot keep 300 trees at a high, high level. They, they take too much work. Yep. I can do 60,000 because we're just putting initial shapes into trunks. We're putting trunk movement in. We're putting some initial branch movement in. But we're not making the trees all here to a show quality. Yep. That show quality takes... You know, a lot, lot more wiring. You know, one mil, one and a half mil, two mil wiring. You know, starting to get all the the pads out. That takes hours to. So, when we all start off, yep, great to have a lot of trees, but as they get better and better and older, it pays to reduce, I believe, your collection. Because yep. there's, with the modern you know person in today's society, we're not we don't have the hours unless you're a retiree and you're going to dedicate you know three, four, five hours a day. There's no way you can keep three hundred trees of a good quality. Yep. So if you want show quality trees, you're going to have to reduce that quanti that quantity. 
Um, how, how far you reduce it, I don't know. Depends on how many hours you got. But I mean, I know when we are getting trees ready for show or we're trying to make a tree worth more like four or five thousand dollars, not four or five hundred, it goes from having you know one hour of wiring a, a year to 10, 15, 20 hours of wiring. So yeah, I wouldn't recommend anyone trying to do, you know, more than say, if you're trying to do high-end trees, I wouldn't recommend any more than say 30 trees. Yep. Um, otherwise, you're not giving them the attention they deserve. You're not, you're not, you're not wiring as often as you should. You're not styling. You're not repotting often as you should, and your and your trees will suffer because you you you've got to to take a tree to a good level. They do need, you know, a lot of work. Yeah, I think the one thing that most people do get caught on is if they get their first bonsai and then they say, oh, I want another one. And say if you've got a juniper, you might only work it once or twice a year, whether that's wiring or whether you're trimming it back or repotting or whatever. At the beginning, yeah. So, so you start thinking, well, I'm going to get some more trees so I've got more constant work. And then within that season, you buy a lot of trees and then the next season rolls around and then you've got too many trees and you can't keep up with the workload, I think that happens to a lot of people. Yes, it does, and that's when it's probably time to, you know, give a few to your friends. Yeah, and I do, um, I see a lot of people on Facebook who... Yeah, we'll sell a couple of trees. Yeah, but, but they, they just buy as many trees oh. as they can, and they start putting twigs in pots, and, and it becomes a game of quantity over quality, and you just think, man, you need to reduce the amount of trees you got and just concentrate on... 10 or 20 really good trees because if an enthusiast does come to your garden and look they're not going to be amazed by the sheer quantity of trees you've got they're going to be amazed by the quality of those trees yep and i think that's going to be the same anywhere you go i think yeah i think as someone develops their into the, in, through their bonsai years so that the more the better they get and the more experience they get they will probably you know whittle their their stock down yep and and, and it and it's not bad starting it off at a high level with a lot of a lot of trees because some of them won't ever won't end up being great, but some will. And yep. you and and early on you won't know which ones are going to be great, and which ones aren't. And as you know, you you get rid of one or two and bring one or two into your collection. So here at the back here, I won't if I if I I've got a comfortable quantity out there of my own now. So in order for a tree to come into my collection, I will then I will then sell one. So if I if I sell if I want three more trees in I'll sell three trees, yep. and that way my collection is slowly improving in quality, without increasing the amount of work I need to do. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah. Beyond beyond thirty high end trees, it's 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 a lot of work. Because not only do you have to wire and all that, you've got to fertilize, yep. um, repot, prune, repot, yep. yep, and you know things like feeding the trees like fertilizer i know here you sell a, a pelletized form which we, is like a six month we sell a, a slow release fertilizer here which we, we we believe is ideal for growing bonsai yep um we have a, a native one with low phosphorus and we have an all-purpose one and it's an eight to nine month slow release but top dressing it obviously breaks down quicker because of the average temperature is higher so we we find we're only getting six months out of it. Yep. So if our over if the the time of year has includes the winter months, we get seven months. If it in, if it's only going to have the summer months in it, we get five months. So 
we need to do two applications of that fertiliser that we use twice a year, either, either six months apart or seven months apart. Yep. And do you find that the pelletised form is just as good as making your own cakes, or do you think cakes have their own um, th- their own usage? Most of our trees here, we're growing full belt. We're trying to we're trying to keep as healthy as possible. We're trying to grow them as fast as possible. When a tree's growing fast, like a fig or a lily pilly or something like that, and we chop it back at the right time of year, we get a lot of a lot of back shooting. Um, if the tree is not so uh, fast growing and you haven't you've been under feeding when we chop back we don't get anywhere near as many back shoots yeah which obviously the more back shoots we got the more options we've got to style our tree um so yeah we but we, we like to keep our trees powering and we, we we want we want better trunks thicker nabaris better roots so we are using a fertilizer that is for growth yep now, once you've got a tree, like some of them, you know, the 1951 black pines that are out here, you don't necessarily need to use that fertiliser. That's when, you know, a more specific fertiliser for that particular tree can, can be utilised. And that's where, you know, the likes of, particularly those people that have been trained in Japan where they make their own fertiliser cakes, yeah, not a problem, great. Yep. Specific for the tree, specific for the age of the tree. But for us, growing our trees and trying to develop them where they're not, they're not necessarily we're not trying to just keep them as they are we're, we're constantly trying to improve the the size and the the taper and all the rest of it that that, that fertilizer is great for what we use yeah because as you as you get past that point of you know development as you're talking about with your trunk size and your nabari then you're trying to achieve very specific things with your tree where you might need a higher nitrogen content or yeah, higher phosphorus. You, you want to tree, keep your tree green without you know massive leaf growth, and you've got obviously the if you've got a tree growing really fast, your nodes, you, you, the distance between your, your nodes is going to increase. Yep. Um, by backing the fertilizer off a bit, keeping the tree healthy and, and you know green, you know the level of photo. We um, yeah, you 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 won't need the same fertilizer as we're using here. Yeah. Um, but. For the vast majority of trees here, yeah, we only use the two fertilisers, and we don't we don't use liquid because otherwise, our trees are all outdoors and they're getting watered by sprinkler heads. So if I was to use liquid fertiliser today and I turn the sprinklers on, I I turn and I run twenty mil of water through the sprinklers over the entire the nursery, all that liquid fertiliser is in the pot, or a large percentage of it is straight out of the bottom of the pot and heading off towards Tugra Lakes. Yep. Um, <laughs> So we do use a slow release here. So every single time we turn the sprinklers on, or every time it rains, we're getting a slight, you know, slight increase of fertilizer coming off out of the slow release and into the into the soil structure. Yeah. So that's why we don't use liquid, um, and we don't use fertilizer cakes because we 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 don't have the time to do it. And the the fertilizer that we do sell here, it you know, it comes in you know, big sacks yep. at a, at a relatively good price and we we find it wouldn't be commercially again commercially viable to do to use anything else yep than than slow release yeah so i think one of the things that i find most interesting and even since i've been coming here i've been thinking about it there's obviously a large difference between somebody's bonsai garden and a nursery so what would you say a day in the life 
of ash would be here at Bonsai World. And I know it's probably going to change with the seasons. In winter, you're probably running around all day trying to put things into the greenhouses. In summer, you're probably watering like a madman. Yeah. Um, what 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 do you think an average day would be here for you know a nurseryman? An average day, we'd get up at eight. We'd well start work at eight o'clock, and it would usually involve going around the entire nursery and seeing if there's any issues anywhere. If, you know, are all the sprinklers working? Are there any dry areas? You know, have the trees been ripped off the bench during the night by a, a storm or wind or something like that? Um, once once we've determined that you know everything is as it should be. Uh, yeah, the wa- the watering is going on in s- in spring, summer, and most of autumn. It's on every day, somewhere in the nursery. The water is on permanently. We- in summer, we're watering every day, so from sun up till sundown. Yep, we are watering. Um, that's why we got some huge dams down the back. A couple of you know probably two dams of ten million liters plus. Um, so the water will go on and then we will work around the water. So we'll, at any one time, we'll be finding out what the next batch of plants that needs to be potted up. So we'll be potting, wiring. So we like tomorrow, for instance, we've got a massive batch of Melaleuca linarifolia out there, or alternifolia out there. They're dead straight and stick-like. They need movement put in them. So we'll bring in... 300 trees into the the awning area here and we'll we'll set to and we'll start wiring 300 trees up yep um they're all in six inch pots so once they've all been wired they'll go over to the potting bench and we'll pot them 300 six inch pots up into an eight inch pot we'll then probably throw them down the back of the nursery where the public sort of don't go yep it's a bit of a mess down there at the moment but um, we will throw them down there and we'll grow them for, you know, aggressively as fast as we can for probably six to seven months and then we'll bring them back up into the retail area yep. where they'll then become available for sale. So, and while we've got customers here and a, a, a lot of customers here, we'll, we'll stay up the front and, and weed and price and do that sort of retail stuff. Um, if there are no customers here at the time, then we're, we're straight into the wholesale side of the business and we're, we're potting and wiring and that sort of work and weeding. Yeah, it seems to me like you need another 10 hours in the day and another 10 men. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, at any one time, there's probably 20,000 trees that need wiring yep. that aren't, that haven't been wired, that are waiting and waiting and waiting for that for their opportunity to come along. Um, if we had unlimited amount of amount of hours, then yeah, we'd 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 be probably on top of that a little bit more. Yep. Because um, it's a lot easier to wire a tree when it's skinny and small and getting really hard bends into it with say a three four mil wire than it is leaving it too long, and then having to to throw you know double eight mil or something on the tree in order to get some decent bends into it. Yeah, well, I did see those melalucas out there today, and I thought, wow, that's a challenge. Yeah, they've they got they quite they quite bendy. Um, without snapping, but you know some of the some of the swamp cypress we got down the back that we have left too long, then the, the the challenge in the next few weeks once they've lost their leaves, and we've we can start to actually you know get our hands amongst the foliage is there we're going to have to un- unfortunately use you know eight mil wire, and probably two eight mil wires coiled together yep. like a doubling up to to get the bend we require into the trunks um, if we'd done it. Last year we probably got a, could have got away with 
five mil. And if we'd done it straight away, we probably would have got away with three mil. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a challenge to try and see how many trees you can get wire onto. Because obviously, the more we wire our trees, the better they will be for 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 everybody, not just for ourselves, but for someone coming along. They can pick up one of our junipers that have been wired two or three times, and the structure of a tree is there. Yep. So then the branch placing is up to the customer, but the the, the initial trunk line and the trunk movement, it's 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 in place. Yep. And so you don't have that that problem of trying to bend a you know a juniper that's got you know a forty mil trunk. Yeah. Which is not easy. We've we, we've done a few today in the workshop, and you can't get the movement required. Yeah, it's very hard. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, while we've got you here, um, I think we need to kind of do a little bit for the beginners. Um, what would you say your best advice is for somebody who's just getting into bonsai or just finding their feet in bonsai? If you're finding your feet in bonsai, it would be finding a friend, finding a club, a local club or a friend or, or coming to a, a nursery like ours. I know there's like two or three nurseries in Sydney, two or three in Brisbane, quite a lot, quite a lot in Melbourne. There's not a lot of nurseries in the rural areas. In the rural areas, you know, you're best off finding your local club. We, um, you're going to need help. We all think we can do it straight away and we might be able to learn out of a book, but it, it just doesn't just doesn't happen that way. Um, and, and, and going to shows and going to books and looking on the internet seeing what a good quality tree is and trying to trying to develop a good quality tree i mean i do see a heck of a lot of trees on on the internet that are they're terrible yeah they sticks in pots yeah and they're not bonsai they they sticks in pots um to bonsai to me is a tree that you know in invokes like feelings and emotions of what we would see if we were like walking down the bush and we see a massive old tree and um the vast majority of beginners are very happy just putting a stick in a pot and to me that's not bonsai it's it's not it's not a tree that's portraying age or the struggle within to you know to make it look gnarly and twisty and turny and it, it they just look like field grown sticks yeah um and until people can learn that there is there is more out there than that that's what they're going to do yeah. So finding a club, finding a finding a friend, or you know, going to a show, seeing what is out there, and trying to achieve that 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 better quality. And finding some patience because bonsai is a patience oh, game. Done right, it is. So many people want to put their their bonsai straight away to a little glaze pot. Yep. And that that that's basically the beginning of the end. Um, the moment you put your little tree to a little glaze pot, it's going to look like that for the next decade or two. Yeah. And. We get people come in here going, oh, I've got a you know forty-five year old tree. You know, my f- husband's just passed away. He's been growing it for forty-five years, and you're thinking, oh, this would be a ripper of a tree. And they come in, and they're not. Yep. They look like they've been put in that pot a week ago, because a little plant, a little pot, they don't they don't develop. Yeah, it hits a wall pretty quick. Yes, I mean that patience in developing better stock in a bigger pot or field grown if you've got the, uh, that ability to field grow um, or, or slip potting up but in Australia where we if you're not digging it up out of the bush yamadoring it then the only way to develop a good tree is to be patient and to grow it fast and big and grow it and chop it and grow it and chop it 
you know, cut it back, get a new leader, wire it up, um, throwing it in a little pot. That's not, for me, that's not bonzo. No, and I think um, that's where people having an advantage coming to a place like yours is because even though there's still a bit of work to be done on the tree when you buy it in terms of development and stuff, there's six or seven years of work that's already been done yep. that might not otherwise get... If you just go to your local nursery and you buy a little juniper, you know, stock tree, then, you know, you've got quite a few years developing that tree. And that's why I have developed the uh, the display section out the back. Yep. Um, I, I'm trying to show one really good tree of each species out there. So if you... If you buy a wisteria off our bench, I've got a 20-year-old wisteria out here. I've got a 100-year-old wisteria. I've got a 50-year-old wisteria. And with junipers, I've got some 20-year-old junipers um, that have been growing quickly and, and, and well. And we've got some willow myrtle. We've got, we got one of everything out here in our display area because we're trying, I'm trying to make Australians realise that that's bonsai, yep. not these little sticks in pots. Um, it's hard because, you know, you're competing against the likes of Bunnings where a stick in a pot is all they do. Yeah. And if people continually only see that sort of material, they think that is what bonsai is. And that's not what bonsai is. No. Bonsai is, is what you're seeing out the back here. It's what you're seeing at the Arboretum. It's, you know, it's, it's like, like the shows. If you, so if you do get to go overseas, it's what you're seeing in the high-class museums and the, you know, like the likes of Omiya and Kunio Kobayashi and... Coco Futon, you know the big shows. That's that's what bonsai to me is. It's and and that and that takes patience. Yeah, exactly. You can't you can't do that overnight. And if you think you can do it overnight, then you're mistaken, and you and you won't end up with great bonsai. You'll end up with what what I would call more of a mallsai. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Well, it was like the young bloke that had his juniper here today. I kept telling him, just go and have another look. Go and have another look in the show section. Yep. Go and find... Something you like. Yeah, and have a look at the styles and just have a look at each different one and find some inspiration on each one. I said, because those trees are fully developed. I said, but that w- what that will equip you with is you can come back and look at your tree and see where it needs to be in a few years. So you can say, well, I can wire this branch here and then as it develops out, then I can get some ramification there and then maybe it'll look like that one that I've seen out there. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing. They think. And a lot of my demonstrations around Australia are, are always about not putting it into a little pot straight away. Yep. So like last weekend, we're down at Nepean Bonsai Society down in Sydney, Western Sydney, and we were, we were showing some swamp cypress, but they had been grown full belt in a little 6-inch, 8-inch, 10-inch, 12-inch, through to trees that were 4 or 5 metres tall and chopped back and then put into the bonsai pot for the very first time yesterday or the last weekend. Um, that forest looks like it's a 20-year-old forest. If I'd put little trees into a pot five years ago, they'll look the same tomorrow. Like yep. They'll look the same tomorrow. They'll look the same in 10 years and 20 years down the track. It's that patience of putting something aside and letting it develop before you know playing with it. Yeah, that, that's that's the, that's the hard part. The thing that I struggle with with bonsai N is my personal collection. I would say eighty percent of the trees are still in nursery pots. Actually, maybe more than that. I've probably only got one or two trees that are actually in a bonsai pot. And if you've only if you've only been doing bonsai for a short period of time, that's that's perfect. And then with the trees that we sell. 
they're straight out of a nursery pot, straight into a glazed pot, and they're styled, you know, straight up, and it kills me when I'm when I'm trying to do trees for sale. You know, this, you know, the small little ones, maybe they're in a six-inch pot or an eight-inch pot, but they're they're gift bonsais, and anytime yep. I'm working on them, I'm wiring them up, and I'm thinking, man, if this wasn't getting sold now, you can develop this out here. So you can always take it out of that glazed pot, put it back in the. Well, whoever buys it, yep. you know, they've got the opportunity. And you will see, that. even in Japan, you will see that. So, like, you know, you will see them growing in the ground or in a really big sort of wooden box. And then they might go to a bonsai pot for a few years. Yep. But after a few years, they might put it back into a big grow pot, a grow, you know, growing box. Yep. In and out, in and out. Like, they once, you know, just because you've put something to a bonsai pot doesn't mean it has to stay in a bonsai pot. Yeah. So, quite often when I go overseas, I come back and you're like, you're seeing like a, I don't know, anything, doesn't really matter what it is. And it's better than what I've got. It makes me a sort of bit envious. Yep. And I'll come back and go, you know, my, my, my mugo pine is nowhere near good enough, for instance. I'll then pull it out of the bonsai pot back into a grow pot and another three or four years. And then I might bring it back to a bonsai pot. And, and the life of my trees are in and out, in and out. Yep. Well, um, I mean... They don't, have to, they don't have to, once they're in a bonsai pot, they don't have to stay in a bonsai pot. They go through different iterations and they grow. Yep. As you grow as an artist, your tree grows. Yep. yep, yep, exactly. Yep. So with saying all that too, what would you think the best tool for a beginner bonsai is? You know, what, what do you think? Because I, I do see a lot of beginners out there, they want to buy every tool that's on the market. But what would you say the most important tools to have would be? Wow. Um, the most important tools... Um, Besides knowledge, <laughs> yeah, 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 knowledge, yeah, and patience. Um, no, no, like actual physical tools. Then you know, you, you don't. For beginners, I don't. Rec- I don't recommend spending hundreds of dollars on tools. I, I, I recommend buying you know some cheaper tools. Yeah, spending your money on the trees. Some good quality material is going to probably keep you more interested in bonsai. So when your friends come around and they see in your backyard you've got some, you know, really nice trees. They're they're in they're in awe of your trees. They're not in awe of your 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 tool collection that's in your little pouch inside your house. Yeah. So when when you're beginning, just some good, you know, m- m- medium quality tools. You don't need everything. Some good pair of secateurs is obviously great. Um, root rake, root, you know, scraping away the soil, yep. digging down to see what you know see what's available in that nursery stock if you're buying nursery stock. Um, good quality little fine tooth saw. Yep. Um, I think maybe a branch set of branch cut, knob cutters. Yeah, branch cutters, little pair of fine scissors. Um, they don't have to be Japanese. They don't have to be high end. You're going to be able to develop your tree once you once your trees are getting high end. Yeah, you can spend some more money on your tools later on. But I think to start off with, I'd, I would prefer to see people spend their money on high quality trees. Yep. and high quality starter stock and then as they develop into bonsai once they've determined that this is this is a, a hobby or an art form that they want to do then yeah spend more money on your tools because um, yeah your budget your budget on tools can be as high as you want yeah um, I know many people that have spent you know just this year alone probably one to two thousand dollars on their tool on, on, on tools for you know working their, their bonsai but boy I'd rather put one or two grand into a couple of really nice trees yeah i think the advice i usually give when beginners are buying tools is buy the cheaper stuff first the beginner stuff 
Yep. And then if you find yourself continuing in the art of bonsai and it's something you really love and you start getting bigger and better trees, start upgrading your tools one thing at a time. So you might get a better pair of scissors yep. or you might get a better set of branch cutters because, I mean, I know myself, my tool collection's always growing because as the trees get bigger, then I need bigger branch cutters or bigger secateurs or something. So I think... Here at the nursery, the best the the tool that most of our staff will actually invest in the most and try and get the best quality is the wire cutters. Yeah. If you're taking for every kilo we put on, we've got to take a kilo off. Yep. And if we're cutting it off six, seven hours of chopping wire off, particularly if it's like five, six, seven, eight mil wire, yeah, you get you're getting you're getting hand cramps, you're getting yeah. really sore hands. So I mean the first the first really high end tool I bought for myself was wire cutters yep because we do a lot of wire removal but yeah each to their own um yeah i can't live without them if you try and cut six mil wire with side cutters yeah it's a challenge where you get a good set of wire cutters yeah and they go through them like butter and i'm and i'm constantly when 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 a customer comes in here at the workshop we're like this this earlier today we had 30 40 people here in the workshop and at there was probably four or five really good pairs of wire cutters i actually went round and utilized, used everybody's pair. Yep. We're just, oh, is that better than, yeah, that's probably a little bit better than what I'm using. Um, and some of the best ones are not necessarily the most expensive. Yeah, well, I have just a set of the Ryuga ones. Yep. And, um, uh, yeah, as I said, I couldn't live without them. Yep. And a set of side cutters that are twice the size, they make your job ten times harder. Yeah. Um, so, I know you've got a few things coming up here at Bonsai World in two weeks. You've got, I think you said it was more of a critique-style demonstration, was it? Yeah, so we, we constantly got events coming up uh, with Bonsai World, either at our own nursery or or with the, uh, the, the Bonsai Societies around Australia. The, the next thing we have coming up in two weeks is we'll, on the Sunday... In two weeks' time, we'll be doing two demonstrations as well as like a not a yeah like a critique session. So everybody can bring in a, like a tree each, and we will go through. We would give our opinion of what we would do to that tree next. Yep. So you know we might grab someone's tree and go, okay, look, this needs an angle change. It'd be really good if we were to move this branch down here and this is an option and this is an option and that's the sort of thing we'll be doing in in two weeks time here at the nursery um two weeks after that we're up at Tari. so Tari, you've got a you know regional area but they've got a really good thriving sort of bonsai society um most areas around australia will have a, a bonsai club um so we'll be up there demonstrating and a sales day at club Tari. yep um, and then as as the year progresses, we've always got a continual flow of demonstrations either here or workshops here or around Australia. So shortly after that, we were down into Canberra in October, uh, Central Coast, September, um, Newcastle, November. Yep. Um, and in between all them, we, we got workshops here every last Sunday of every month. And we try and do a mid-month uh, demonstration as well. Yeah, so if anybody is listening is in any of those areas, I urge you to go along. We have a we have a we have do have a Facebook site 
that we we put up whenever the shows are that we are attending and that we're demonstrating at and we 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 put up every week or so what's on next and what's coming up yeah so if you search bonsai world on facebook um you can follow them there and uh keep an eye on their events that are coming up also too did you want to tell people where they can find your physical location so here okay so for people that are further afield we're um located in a town called jillaby which is west of the freeway on the central coast so if you're from sydney we're sort of an hour north if you're from newcastle we're an hour south on the uh, central coast uh 51 watigan forest drive jillaby um five ten minutes off the freeway near wyong near tugra yep yep i would say that anybody who is into bonsai and is listening to this even if you're two and a half three hours away it is worth the drive if you come down here and you know pick up five or six plants and you know do a trip every now and then you're going to get some quality stock and there's a lot to choose from probably definitely a lot more than what's in your area so it is worth the drive either way north or south um come check them out thank you so much for sitting down with us today ash um i think there's a lot in here that people are going to be interested in and a lot that people can learn and i mean maybe we'll even have you on again some other time and we can talk about some different subjects but for now thank you a lot for coming on and uh Come along to those workshops, people, because they are a wealth of knowledge and the guys that work here will be happy to help you. Yeah, thanks very much, Josh. Once again, thanks for coming on. Great idea with the podcast. Thank you.